0: Dear God, I thank you for each person who is here today. We know that you have a word for them, a word of comfort or encouragement or challenge. And I just pray that we will be open to hear it. Lord, we just thank you for the ability to do life together. Uh, as a body of believers, as a faith community. Lord, we do pray for our nation. There are very troubling times. We do pray uh, that you will um, stop this Equality Act, which would in many ways fundamentally change uh, America, to be honest. Lord, I just pray that you would help us as Christians to walk in holiness and truth and compassion and authenticity. We ask this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. So we've been working through the Beatitudes uh, over the last several weeks. And today I want to talk about Beatitude number six. And I think of kind of the opposite of it. And unfortunately, we have lots of these examples. But in the world of sports, in the world of cycling, Lance Armstrong is an interesting uh, case study. Because here is really the preeminent uh, cyclist of his time. Um, He won race after race. Uh, He won the Tour de France, which is the prestigious race, um, seven consecutive times. I mean, absolutely incredible. He had battled against cancer and come back from that. He was just kind of the epitome of perseverance and endurance. and, And people just immensely respected him. And then it came out that he had uh, been doping, he had been cheating, and so all of that was stripped from him. And we need to understand that it is very tempting, and while most of us don't live in the spotlight like he has, I think it's very tempting for us to present one way on the outside and to live differently on the inside. Matthew chapter 5, verse 8, is a beatitude of Jesus. We've been working through them, and he says this very simply. He says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Now, just to give you a little bit of context, for the original Jewish audience, I think the passage that would have uh, just popped up in their mind when they heard him say this would have been Psalm 24, verse 3 and 4. In it, he says this, who may ascend the mountain of the Lord, who may stand in his holy place, the one who has clean hands. So that's a picture of outward behavior, a picture of outward obedience in a Jewish mind, maybe even ceremonially cleanness and a pure heart. And this is the inside who does not trust in an idol or swear by a false God. Now, as you move through the Sermon on the Mount, if you read the whole multi-chapter sermon from Jesus, he's very, very hard on the religious leaders of his day. He's very hard at, at and aims really barbed comments to the Pharisees, those leaders who he says lived outwardly these very holy lives and yet inwardly did not live that way. And calls them out on it. Matter of fact, in one image, he talks about uh, Jesus in in one uh, interaction with the Pharisees. He calls them whitewashed tombs. He says that they look beautiful on the outside, but inside they are spiritually dead. These were men that were all concerned about being ceremonially clean. And if you touched a dead body, you were defiled, at least for a time. And so he basically said to them, you look good but you are walking, you're a walking case of defilement. Very, very strong words from Jesus. We need to think about purity of heart. We often focus on externals, even rules, because they help us, and in some ways they can help us. I think of a a massive external structure called the Great Wall of China. I'm sure you've seen pictures of it. It's massive. It's this incredible wall that is is just, it's so thick and it's so high. You can't, you know, break through it. You can't really um, get through it in ancient times. And it protected China from um, these northern tribes that were kept trying to conquer it. I mean, it was massively long. You couldn't just go, you know, around it. And yet, three times... In the first, I mean, it took, I think, 200 years to build this wall, this massive wall. But three times in the hundred years after it was built, the tribes got in. The people that they were trying to keep out got in. And they didn't dig under it. They didn't go, you know, all these miles and miles around it. They didn't fight their way through it. Each time they bribed the gatekeepers they walked right in you see jesus doesn't want to just offer us some kind of external wall of holiness that looks good on the outside he wants it to be at our very essence Wants it to be part of who we are. When we look at this particular beatitude, we see blessed are, so happy or fortunate are those who are pure of heart. In American culture, we tend to, when we say the heart, we have a tendency to mean our feelings. Not always, but that's often the case. But in the Hebrew mind, in the Jewish mind, um, the heart represented the interior of a person. The feelings, the mind, the will were all part of the heart. And so, to talk about purity of heart is to talk about really the core of who you are. To talk about your essence. To be holy in that way. You see, the Jews understood, and we understand through Scripture, that there was an old heart, and then there's a new heart that's offered to us. The old heart's described in Proverbs chapter 20, verse 9. Who can say, I have kept my heart pure? I am clean without sin. The implication is... We've not kept our heart pure. No one has a pure heart without God's help. We take good gifts from God, and we ruin them. We debase them. We warp them. Take sexuality for an existence, you know, example. When you think about purity of heart, often that's a topic that rises in the mind. And we think about this, and, and it's this beautiful gift from God He created this as a special bond and glue between a husband and a wife. And in our culture, I have to say, between a male and a female in marriage. And it's to act as glue. It's to help the two become one. And yet, what do people do with that? Men in particular in our culture, they rely on pornography which is easily uh, accessible and available usually it's free and they look at it and uh, they lust after women they don't know and they masturbate to it and so they do these things and so what's supposed to be glue and bring people together a husband and wife together becomes like sniffing glue and yeah there's a high to it but it's damaging And it becomes, instead of something that brings a husband and wife together, it becomes something that divides them. Even if you're single, because it is putting all these images in your mind that you have to deal with even when you're married someday. Jeremiah describes the human heart and our tendency to warp things and to, to do evil things. He says this in Jeremiah seventeen nine The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? And King David, who was an amazing person in some ways, and had a heart for God in some ways, and yet other times we see him veer off the highway of holiness and wreck his life for seasons. And we see his cry after the great Bathsheba incident where he had an affair, tried to cover up the affair, tried to get, I mean, he did. He had the husband killed and tried to just, you know, whitewash the whole thing. And then God sends the prophet to come and call him out. And David actually repents. He actually responds in a way that points his life back towards God and away from his lust, and away from his selfishness. And in Psalm 51, if you go read it, it's a powerful psalm of repentance. But towards the end of it, he says this, Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. David struggled, and he wanted the real deal. He wanted a pure heart. He knew what his heart was like. He knew the problems that a wayward heart had caused him. And each of us, I think if we're honest, we ache for goodness. We long for it. Don't we want to be people of integrity? People of authenticity? People who listen to you, watch your life, and they say your words match your actions and your attitudes. We are offered a new heart. Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 26, this Old Testament prophet predicts it. He says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. There is a beauty in holiness that's offered to us. And I think we all long for it. You know, go visit the married couple in the nursing home that has been married for 65 years together and you watch that connection between them as they have weathered the difficulties and the challenges and the seasons that take them up and down in their relationship and you watch the payoff and the beauty of holiness and commitment and authenticity I had the privilege, my, my dad resigned after, I think, 42 years at the same church. Uh, he had served a few churches before that, but it was the last, you know, it was basically my entire life, uh, or most of it, at this congregation, Chapel Rock, in Indianapolis. And I got to watch when he finally stepped away, and him and my mom, because they served together, they both worked and worked, advanced the kingdom as best as they could, and I just watched hundreds of people. I mean, there was a line out the As They just had this simple farewell, and, and people just came to thank them for investing in their lives. And it was just one of those beautiful moments, kind of the payoff of holiness. You see righteousness in action. You see goodness. There's a purity of heart that we're called to. At the end of our lives, we want to be those kind of stories. At our funerals, you know, they, they say you, you are summed up in a sentence or two, and we get to pick that sentence by how we live. I don't want a Lance Armstrong sentence, I don't want a Rabbi Zacharias sentence. We want to be people who have a purity of heart about us, we are authentic. In Acts chapter 15, verse 9, it talks about the gift of a pure heart, because there's both the gift of a pure heart and us walking out in grace, having a pure heart. I'm mainly going to talk about walking it out, the practical pure heart, but we need to understand that a pure heart, this new heart, is a gift, and it comes in Acts 15, verse 9, it tells us, by faith, by putting our trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. By submitting to his lordship, accepting him as our savior. We mark that publicly when we baptize someone. They step up and say, I want to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to commit my life. I want to surrender to him. We get the gift of a pure heart, a different heart, a new heart by faith, not by our works. And so this positional purity of heart is a gift that comes from the gospel. But there's also this practical purity of heart that we have to walk out. This holiness and authenticity, that's what's meant by purity of heart. This is our true character. It has been said that reputation is what other people think you are. Character is what God knows you are. Your character is like a tree, and your reputation is like the shadow of that tree. There is a difference. J.P. Morgan, one of the great bankers in American history who um, helped organize U.S. Steel and General Electric and became the predecessor, his bank, of J.P. Morgan Chase, one of the largest banks in the United States, when asked um, what he considered the best bank collateral He answered with one word, and the word was character. See, and that flows out of a purity of heart. And yet, in surveys today, people have responded. In one survey I read, 72% conclude that um, the moral values in the United States are getting worse and worse. We're struggling with purity of heart. But people can be changed by the power of the Holy Spirit. I appreciated a story I read about a man who'd been in prison. He had been a thief, a professional thief, and he liked it. And when he was in prison, he became a Christian, and his life changed. He got a new heart, and he began to walk a new direction. And he served his time, and he got out of jail, but he was nervous. And he thought, how am I going to do this? Because I love to steal. I've always uh, been one who would steal things. I like to do it. I'm good at it. And so he got out, and he did this accountability. And so he, he started at his local church. And the first time he went to the service, he walked in, and and he said, this church had a unique thing. They had up on the wall the Ten Commandments. And he said, I kind of cringed when I read right there on the wall, um, you shall not steal. And he he felt a little condemned at first. He's like, man, that's who I was. That was my life. But as the service progressed, the Holy Spirit nudged him, and he began to look at those Ten Commandments, and particularly that one that just you know, really poked at where his heart had been for so long. And he began to see it as an invitation from the Holy Spirit, as an invitation from God for a new life. You shall not steal. You'll live differently. You'll be different. You'll have a purity of heart. You'll be a transformed person. You know, just a couple practical tips on a purity of heart. One way to resist the temptations that inevitably will come in our life is to memorize Scripture. And sometimes people blow that off. and Oh, that's not going to help. And yet, when we see Jesus, the only one who ever lived perfectly, and we see how he goes face-to-face with Satan in the wilderness, and he's tempted, we're given three examples. What does Jesus do? Each time... He responds with, it is written. And he quotes Scripture. Now, we have cell phones. We can pull Scripture up, but it's better if you memorize it. It's better if it's actually in your heart and in your mind. And so that's one of the powerful things you can do to help have that purity of heart, to walk that out. I think we can also learn from the mistakes of others. We don't have to make every mistake. We can watch and we see those around us and we're like, man, I watched this person and they have a real issue with anger and I don't want that. I don't want what that looks like. I see his children kind of just, you know, they're nervous around him. We can learn from the mistakes of others. We can roll the tape forward to the consequences. See, Christianity is this interesting paradox. We are forgiven. We are offered grace. But sometimes people can take that and you can just take it as a license and try to run with that. And I'm just going to live however I want. And Paul says, you can't do that. That's not what Jesus calls us to. We're called to holiness. And if you'll take the time and look at the mistakes of others and your past mistakes, you can learn and you can avoid, you can analyze. You know, every every time you struggle with something and you um, maybe go down a path you shouldn't go down, use that as an opportunity. Hey, I blew that. What happened? What were the triggers? What were the mistakes? Because usually it's not just one decision. Usually there's a couple decisions on the way, right? To any big sin. We can roll the tape forward and see the consequences of actions. I mentioned King David, and King David is a in many ways an amazing person. We read the Psalms, he wrote many of those. He gets more ink in the Bible than most Bible characters. In many ways, he is one that we can look to and learn from in many positive ways. But we can also see a life That face real consequences after David was forgiven for the whole Bathsheba incident the adultery and the murdering of his friend the soldier this loyal husband after all of that he confesses he's forgiven and yet you roll the tape forward and you can see the consequences he's publicly confronted by the prophet his child with Bathsheba died one of his sons, because, see, he's, he's had this environment where he has all these wives. He has this, you know, kind of uh, playboy mansion of the Old Testament vibe going. And his son Solomon certainly picked that up. One of his sons is such a slave to his desires, his broken sexuality, that he actually rapes his half-sister. And then one of the sister's full-blood brothers waits patiently for his chance and then kills the other brother. And we understand that, but you just start to see David, this man who does love the Lord, who is forgiven his sin, but you still watch the tape of the consequences of sin unroll, and it is painful. It is excruciating. Because let me tell you something, you can choose your sin, you cannot choose the consequences. They just roll on out. We see his son Absalom rebels against him. And we see his one of his most trusted advisors goes with his son in this revolt against him. And you're like, why would he do that? You know, David was this mighty warrior. David was incredible in so many ways, super talented. Why would this advisor go with his wayward son well if you dig a little bit that advisor was the grandfather of Bathsheba he's probably ticked off about the Bathsheba incident probably holding a grudge about that his son Absalom dies in that rebellion and I just want to remind you that all those events I rattled off to you Happened after David was forgiven. So let's be careful that we don't minimize sin and the cost of sin and make grace something that it's not. Grace changes our direction, our destination. It changes us from heaven. Uh, it changes us, excuse me, from hell to heaven. But understand, it doesn't remove all consequences here in the here and now. Another tip when you're trying to have purity of heart in a practical way is to reject the big lie that Satan tells you, particularly in those stubborn areas of sin, those difficult spots. And that, that lie he likes to tell you is that that sin is inevitable, that you're going to do that one again. I think we've all bought that. You know, you, st- you hear it like, well, I'm an angry person, or I'm just impatient, or whatever it is. It's part of why in the recovery movement, they will take, you know, this idea and they'll break it down into a day. Like, uh, I've had them look me in the eye, many people, and they'll say, I, I can't visualize Never taking a drink of alcohol again for the next 20 years for the rest of my life. But I can visualize not drinking today. And there's power in breaking it down. Fighting the battle that's right in front of you. Rather than feeling like you've got to fight the whole war all at once. I love 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23. It says this, May God Himself, the God of peace, sanctify you. So that's that process by which we look more and more like Jesus. Our character looks more like Him. And I, know, I love this line, Sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. I think a great example of this is Daniel of the Old Testament. When his enemies, here he is, he's in exile, he goes through a terrible time, he's dragged away from his home, and here he has to work for a pagan king, um, multiple pagan kings, and at one point, and we think he's 85 years old at this point is what a lot of the scholars say, so here he is, an old man. And he's been elevated. He's, you know, this high-ranking person. And the others were kind of jealous of him. And they began to look for some way to take him down. And it says they could find no corruption in him. Wow, I love that. Couldn't find anything. And the only thing they could figure out is they knew he, was, he had this devotion to God, and they said, they, they go to the king, and they get the king to say, you know what, you need to declare that no one can pray to anybody except you for the next period of time, 30 days. That'll get Daniel. Because see, purity of heart is not just integrity, it's not just authenticity. Purity of heart is a single-minded devotion to God. And that's what Daniel had. And I love it because here he is in his 80s. He has served faithfully. Wouldn't you be tempted if a law came out, you can't pray for 30 days? Wouldn't you be tempted to say, well, I can just take a little break from my devotions? Or I'll just I'll pray, but I'll be I'll be real hidden about it. What does Daniel do? He did what he always did, he opened the windows. And he did what he always did. He prayed multiple times a day. Got himself in big trouble. Thrown in the lion's den. And yet God saved him. Purity of heart is authentic, holy living out of a single-minded devotion and loyalty to God. We don't want to live a a divided life. We want to have that devotion. I love Ezekiel eleven nineteen. 19. I will give them an undivided heart and put a new spirit in them. I will remove from them their heart of stone and give them a heart of flesh. I love the phrase, and it's something that helps me, is living for an audience of one. Live in a way that pleases God. Let everything else fall where it may. The Apostle Paul even talked about the advantage of singleness because he said, if you get married, you're going to want to please that other person. And I think you should want to please that other person. All the married people, yes, you should want to please the other person. But there should be the single-minded devotion to God that's above even, even that person that you've pledged to become one with. You know the greatest commandment Jesus is quoted in Mark chapter 12 verse 30 love the lord your god with all your heart with all your soul with all your mind and with all your strength this single minded devotion Matthew 6.33, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, Seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. He's talking about money and food and clothes, all these things that distract us, that take a certain amount of time for us to have them. And He says, look, seek God first. Seek His kingdom first. Have that single-minded devotion. That's purity of heart. And what do we get? At the end, it says for they will see God. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Seeing is such a blessing. I wear glasses. I don't know if you can tell from the distance. They're really thick, and I pay extra money so that they're thinner than they would be. I'm very, very blind. And um, just the other day, I got up, I get up really early before my wife, and I don't know how I did it, but I managed to lose my glasses. And after about 15 minutes, because I can't really function very well, I went and woke my wife up to help me to look for glasses. I do that with great trepidation. <laughs> I'm, I'm kidding. But she found the glasses. But that's part of the problem. I can't see very well to even find them. Where did I put them? It is, it is an incredible privilege and blessing to see i was reading about a woman named anna may pinnacut she has she was born blind and so she could never see and she went through her life became an adult even got married and they came up with this surgery and they were able to restore her sight not 2020 but she had decent sight and she said it was so incredible to go your whole life and for the first time to see a sunset. I mean, think about that as an adult. And she said to see my husband, who I'd never seen his face but been married to him. And I think that's a good image in some ways of the pure in heart we'll get to see God. We get to have a relationship with him. We get to have a deep friendship with him. In a sense, the Bible uses these different metaphors. We have that he's the father, we're the child. We have the image that he's the husband and and we're the wife. You know, there's all these pictures of intimacy, these metaphors, these pictures of a close relationship. But there's something about someday in eternity we get to see God. And we look forward to that. Now, I think we get to see God. There's lots of layers to this. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. There's layers of it. Literally, when Jesus said it to a crowd of people, all these Jewish people are looking at Jesus Christ, and they probably didn't get it, probably didn't realize it, but he is God in the flesh, standing in front of them. Emmanuel, God with us. And so those that were open to the coming of Messiah, those who longed for him, those who looked for him, they got to see it. Here he was, Jesus, right in front of them. And so they got to, in a sense, literally see God. One thing I appreciate about my job is I get to hear people tell stories about their God moments. One author talks about God winks, little moments where you know God came through for you where he thought about you. And I think that's seeing God. I was talking to a business person here in town, and they uh, made a decision uh, because they didn't want to work with the marijuana industry, and so they chose not to do that. And it was kind of a lucrative contract that they turned down, and this individual said, I was a little nervous about it, but I felt like as I prayed over it, this was the right thing to do. And he said, I watched as God blessed that decision. He got to see God. And so I think that we get to see God, glimpses of God in remarkable ways here. But ultimately when Christ returns, we get to see God. Ultimately in the new heavens and the new earth, we get to see God. Hebrews twelve fourteen, the last part of the verse says this, says without holiness, no one will see the Lord. Now remember holiness is, righteousness, purity is a gift through salvation. But we are called to walk it out practically. Revelation 22, verse 3 and 4 says, No longer will there be any curse. This is talking about the new heavens and new earth. The throne of God and of the Lamb, the Lamb is Jesus, because He was the sacrifice for us, will be in the city and His servants will serve Him. They will see His face and His name will be on their foreheads. We'll see his face. We'll see the face of God. Some of you men remember the first time you saw your wife across the room. She wasn't your wife yet. You may not even have known her name. And she just, she was your kind of pretty, and she just caught your eye, maybe even took your breath away. You've been in settings in nature that are just stunning, that are beautiful. Maybe you've had children and you've been in that, that uh, birth room and they hand you your child for the first time and, and you look into this little face of this person that you know you've been talking to for nine months. And it's just such a beautiful moment. But nothing is going to touch getting to see God in his fullness. So the big idea is this. A pure heart is a passport to the presence of God. Let's pray. Dear God, I thank you for each person here. I pray that if somebody has never accepted the gift of holiness, the gift of righteousness um, through the gospel, that they would seriously consider that, that they would come talk to me or one of the other uh, folks here at the church. And Lord, we can walk them through that can pray with them and baptize them as the bible commands lord i pray for each of us who have made a decision to follow you that have made jesus lord of our lives lord help us to be people of authenticity of honesty of compassion that when others see us and watch us that what they see is what they get lord drive hypocrisy away from our hearts Lord, help us not to be about pride and appearances, but purity of heart. This is our prayer in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.